Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul, I see you're uh, working from home today. How's that going? <laughs> well, yeah, we our office got our office lock broke on Friday and it's a coded lock. We have to like kind of badge in or whatever. And there's something wrong with the mechanical mechanism. So, yeah, we couldn't get in the office today and I don't have my computer. So here we are. Nice. Good for you. Yeah, we get to record early in the day as opposed to uh, dinner time. So this is nice. Yeah, we're good, man. Um, all right, well, let's jump into it. So this is a topic that um, that is not spoken about enough. You know, it, it's really not. And, and in fact, it's I feel like it's really glossed over with uh, a lot of the typical financial planning that goes on and and what people are are told to do with their money. Um, so we're titling this, you know, sequence matters. So what, what is sequence really? Why don't you take that one? Sure. Well, it's, it's the order in which something is done, right? In this case, what we're talking about is people's, you know, essentially their spending patterns, right? Um, and I want to plug becoming your own banker, you know, page 12, I've got it right here in front of me in 13, where Nash talks about revising his spending pattern in 19, you know, late 80s, you know, 80, 81, when interest rates shut through the roof. Um, so before we, you know, invest, spend, or give our money, right, we need to put it in a place where we can capture it so it earns money for us forever. And that place obviously is, you know, properly designed dividend paying whole life insurance contract designed for IBC. Right. So you just, you just mentioned the four things you can really do with money. There's really only four. You can save it. You can invest it, you can spend it, and you can give it, right? Anything else you do with money falls within those four categories. Now, what we're talking about is the order in which you do that matters dramatically over the course of your lifetime. So um, let's, you know, what's probably one of the most typical things, uh, I, I don't know, the average consumer, the average American consumer does with their money. Really, they, they're holding their, their wealth they're building their wealth inside really two different vehicles. Their 401k or some similar plan, usually employer-sponsored, and their home, their primary residence. That's really most people's wealth plan that, that I see is stocks and the appreciation and equity in my home. Yep. And, and, that, and that's about it. But how many of those people, I mean, there's, I don't know what all the stats are, <clears throat> but I hear them all the time. Like only 40% of Americans have enough savings in the bank or enough liquid capital to fund a $400 emergency. Like something ridiculous like that. So, yeah, I don't, that's insane. I'm sure we can, we can research the different statistics on, on that, but that's, that's fairly scary. And I think we saw that in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, we, we really showed you know, the government shutting down the economy worldwide and um, really showed what people had. Um, and I, I, I experienced it as a landlord. Um, 
Where did you lose any revenue? Uh, did you have people who, who couldn't make their monthly payments or, or wouldn't make their monthly payments because they didn't have to? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> That's uh, wow. So what actually, I mean, let's sidetrack a little bit. How did that work out for you? Did you get forbearance or no. your mortgage? No, no, I didn't try to, I didn't dig too deep um, because of, well, personal reasons, but you know, the bottom line, the state didn't have any program where it's like, hey, we're going to reimburse you because we shut down, you know, this sector of the economy for our entire state unnecessarily, of course. Right. And, uh, you know, the people that you had in there as tenants who were paying rent while they were employed could no longer pay it. And then there was an uptick during the stimulus check crap where they could they were able to pay. But, you know, in the end, no, I mean, there was no re there's not real recourse um for a landlord and in, in, in that particular state anyway wait did you say your state reimbursed you for the more mm -hmm. the rent they did oh pay? no oh okay. no 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 okay i was <laughs> no, gonna I, say i ate it <laughs> i was gonna I say that that that's section eight housing then like you went from you know suburban single family rentals to section eight overnight but it's even worse than that because you didn't get paid at all yep and you yeah. can't really it's you can't really claim a loss right you just didn't have that rental income so you just had less rental income it's not really characterized wow. as a loss you know what I'm saying? Huh? So, well, so what does that do to your, your thoughts on, you know, passive income through real estate investing? There's different types of real estate investing, right? I think, I, I don't know, personally, one of the, the riskier types might be, well, it's definitely like flipping houses. Um, if you call that investing, um, but owning single family homes, I think the last couple of years has really shown us that that's, the risk has actually climbed quite a bit in the last couple of years. Yeah, this particular property, and I know we're getting way off topic, was just kind of an anomaly in my in our portfolio. Um, it was I bought it for family reasons, and it was in a state that I normally wouldn't own rental properties. Okay, right. So, you know, I'm very particular. Generally, my rental properties are all going to be around active duty army bases, which have a steady flow of people coming in and out, people with steady incomes, mm -hmm. and I rent to a particular type of family as well I and, kind of strict criteria so yeah and you would have some pretty good recourse if they didn't make their 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 rent payment yeah. right you, yeah. you could just contact their commander directly that's so, right. there you go <laughs> yeah so that that's a, a great audience to rent to a, a great um, segment of the population so okay so we did get a, li a little off track there but what we were i forget what our original point was going back to people saving money in their in their homes and their 401ks Right. We're talking about liquidity as what we are leading up to, I think. Yeah. Access to capital, access to liquid capital for emergencies. Now, if the last two years taught us anything, it's that you better have at least a few months worth of expenses saved up in an emergency account somewhere. Right. So what happens then to somebody who has all of their wealth and all of their capital in one, the walls of their home, right through equity in their home because maybe they're, you know, they're making their mortgage payment every month because they have to, and maybe they're overpaying that every month to, to decrease the time, or maybe they got a 15 year instead of a 30 year and they're putting, terrible idea. you know, 50% more away every month. Terrible idea. Go listen to last week's episode. If you missed that one, that's all about the 15 versus 30 year mortgage. But so they have their money locked up in their house and their 401k. What options do they have now? Well, if the gracious master, so there's two gracious masters, right? There's the bank and then there's the government, right? Mm -hmm. So the government controls qualified plans and the rules. You know, you say the government, the IRS, which is like a, you know, 
the banking Gestapo of the Federal Reserve, kind of. Yeah. Anyway, so in 2020, we had, you know, the CARES Act or whatever, and they said, hey, you can take, instead of $50,000 in loans or 50% or, you know, whatever uh, of your account value, you could take a $100,000 loan against your 401k or out, not against it, out of it, because that money leaves the account technically. Right. Uh, it's not like a policy loan. It's actually very different. And then you have a five-year amortization schedule to pay that back beginning in 2021. So that was one option. You could yep. get to, if your custodian allowed or your employer allowed, they didn't have to. I, right. I don't yeah. think it was dictated that they had to do it. The TSP, they changed, yep. they adjusted some rules and, and allowed people. And obviously, I took advantage of that. And there was also a withdrawal option. Uh, where they eliminated the penalty as well, which uh, I also took advantage of. So I took a bunch of cash out of it. So it's one know, option. Yeah, I know several people. Like I think we both have several clients who chose on their own to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And not too many people knew about it at the time either. But we started. You know, I was. You know, we were both following it close, posting about it online back then, and and uh, you know, a lot of people did take advantage of it. And then the second second way, um, so government changes the rules and your qualified plan. Okay, great. Second way is home equity, right? So the bank. You don't, you don't really own your equity, right? They have it under lock and key. Right. You can go ask them, hey, I've got $200,000 of equity. I'd like to you know, get a home equity line of credit or you know, whatever. And guess what? We've seen credit access decrease during these, these troublesome times. And guess what? Now you're, now you're without the cash that you need. Basically all this stuff, right? It's dead money. Money yeah. you can't get at within a reasonable amount of time is dead money. It's value. It has no value. The value of a dollar you can't spend is zero. Is right? zero. Yeah, you're right. That equity has zero value if you can't access it. And many right. banks just just wholesale stop doing home equity lines of credit in 2020. They just cut them off for anybody and everybody. Didn't matter. But especially, yep. you know, when when you ask a bank for a loan, they want to make sure that you can repay that loan, and that's how they underwrite you. Does this person have the the capability? to repay this loan, to service this loan on a monthly basis? Uh, if the answer is no, uh, you're not getting that money. D doesn't matter how much equity you have in that home. But yeah, so that that was not even an option. So that left the only option for many people is to dig into their 401ks. And it took an act of Congress to allow you to do that without being penalized. Right. So a literal act of Congress. They changed the rules twice in 2020 on qualified plans. So, and that's what it takes. And that's, it takes that much, but that's all it takes for your entire plan to change is this an act of Congress, right? So yep. if, if you think they're going to, they're going to stop there um, and never change the rules on you again from now through the day you die, uh, then, uh, then you're not thinking clearly, right? No question. I, you know, it took a, it took a small, you know, short period of time for me to change the way I thought you know, reading Nelson and, and reading him again and talking with you and talking with other people and just changing the way I thought, right? Changing the the lens of which I'm, I'm viewing wealth and finance through uh, to, you know, stop contributing to the 401k and to realize that, oh my gosh, this product was created, you know, between the government and Wall Street, right? Uh, yeah. In cahoots. But everyone's doing it, right? And it, and it alleviates the need for a pension now, right? We don't have pensions anymore. Yeah, private pensions anyway. So, I tell you, man, what a what a racket. Well, then it's funny the the government then comes to the rescue by changing the rules on something um, to to help you out of a situation that they caused in the first place. Doesn't that so, seem suspicious? Yeah, isn't that what Nelson says? Does that seem suspicious yeah. to you? 
<laughs> so people had, you really got two choices. If you don't have emergency capital saved up, if you don't have, have access to capital, you're stuck trying to get, you know, begging for a HELOC uh, to access the equity in your home or reaching into your qualified plan to pull out money that you're going to get penalized on and you're going to interrupt the compounding growth on. Um, and um, you may be taking it out while the market's down. So, and you know, if the market takes a hit and then you reach in and take money out, we'll talk about that uh, later on in the episode. It's a little thing called sequence of returns risk, where imagine taking something out while it's on its way down. It's, it, it's a lot worse than taking something out while it's on its way up, right? It's going to be a lot harder to catch up. Yeah, no question. Yeah. So then Absolutely. what do people resort to? They resort to debt and not the good kind of debt because there is good debt. Uh, but this is the bad, the, the consumer debt, the payday loans kind of debt, which is just a vicious, never-ending cycle for a lot of people, unfortunately. But it's, you know, credit card debt. And now you're paying 18% to a credit card company to borrow their money because, you know, you didn't want to, you wanted to earn 5, 8, 10% on your 401k money. So now maybe you're earning, what, 10% over here, but you're paying 18% in interest to borrow somebody else's money because yours is locked up. Does that make... Does that, is that a good recipe for financial success? Nope. Nope. Yeah. So now let's talk about sequence. So I think it's, I think most people would say, yeah, you should always have a, an emergency savings um, built up. Um, and some people, even people we disagree with on most things, these financial entertainers that we, uh, I might disagree with them on 80 or 90% of what they say, but they do promote something good, and that's save. Save before you invest. I think that's just a basic, a basic skill and a basic belief that you really need to, to instill in your life is you got to be able to save money, and you got to develop that habit pattern, the discipline to save uh, before you invest. But unfortunately, it seems like way too many people do the opposite. They place all that emphasis on their 401k, like I have to invest or else I'm losing out, and yet they neglect savings. Yeah, and that's and that's by design, I think, Dave. And I, you know, when you look at when people think savings, they think, well, my bank account, you know, my savings account at whatever bank pays, you know, point zero, you know, pays point ten, you know, a tenth of a percent a year of interest, which is which is nothing, right? Which might as well be zero. Um, it's actually negative if you count, you know, inflation and stuff. Sure. Well, the the effects of inflation, I should say. Um, so by you know by having this carnalized central banking system that we have worldwide and in this country in particular we have we have made savings unpopular i mean when we were kids you could get five six percent in a savings account now that's you know net of fees that's what the s p does yeah <laughs> like so yeah it's, i mean it's it's all by design i think where we differ with the, the the entertainers right is not yes you should have emergency fund yes you should save money of course um but we need to define savings further and then we also need we just disagree on where to do that where do we save our money exactly. where do we put our money our money has to reside somewhere what better place than here and when i say here dividend paying whole life insurance right exactly that it, so the order in which you use your capital matters and then the next question becomes where is the most productive place to save that money so you know you could argue all day about where the most productive place to invest your money could be. Uh, sure. But 
but nobody talks about I mean, everybody talks about all the, the financial gurus talk about and, and CFPs like here's where you should invest your money, but nobody talks about where you should save your money. Like there's many options out there. Uh, well, they don't get paid to tell you that. Right. And it, yeah, you don't get paid for assets under management well, if it's sitting in somebody else's savings account. Here's there's a couple of things going on. One, they don't know how to use this. They don't know how to use dividend paying all life insurance. They just don't know. And if they do know, they just. No, they, they just don't, they don't know. And I have to believe that because I, I have to assume they have angelic intentions because I think most of them do. I think most of them, those guys we were talking about earlier, I think they have good intentions, right? They're yeah. telling people to put money in the 529 or the 401k and they love, oh, 401k millionaires. You know, that term gets thrown out all over the place in media, like, oh, 401k millionaires. Well, and, and I don't want to do the same thing to them that, that oftentimes they do to us by saying we're only in it for the commissions. Like, I don't think they're saying you should only invest and not not worry about savings because they want the commissions because they want sure. that assets under management number. I think that's how they're trained. And I think that right, companies, they don't know any better. Yeah, they don't know any better. You know, and I um, those those companies that train them and say you can only sell our products and you cannot captive. refer them. Yes, they're captive. You cannot refer them to anything else outside of what we what we offer. Um, that's what they know. And that's that's their job. And they technically can't go outside of that. Yep. So everything that's talked about of, you know, do this investment, do that investment, or it's, you know, securities, or it's bonds, or it's real estate, or business, you know, whatever it is, all of that money is residing, or is originating from some location, right? What is that location? Well, it's probably someone's checking account, right? Or savings, whatever, right? Yeah. Which have no value, other than yeah. they're liquid. And once they move the money out of that checking account, that money's moved somewhere else to do one job. That's right. right. What what we propose and what we do ourselves in our own lives is first put that money into a properly designed dividend paying whole life insurance contract. And from there, you capture that savings permanently. And it works it's working for you forever. There's no loss opportunity cost there because every dollar that shows up there in cash value is earning interest and dividends, you know, hopefully dividends. They're not guaranteed, but every year they've been around, they've been paying them um, interest and dividends for the rest of your life on that entire amount. Even as you have access to that capital, like did, did the insurance companies cut off policy loans in 2020 while the banks were no. cutting off HELOCs? No, they didn't. They sure didn't. Because we are priority numero uno. We're first in line because we're owners of the company. Yep. So they, they loan to us. They, they make those loans, that cash is available for us to borrow. And we borrow it and put it to work somewhere else at the exact same time that it's working for us inside our policy. Earning, compounding, uninterrupted, every year, every day, actually. That's right. Your only, our only obligation as policy owners is to pay our premium, whether we pay monthly, annually, biannually, quarterly. That's our only requirement for the contract is to pay our premium. And those things that Dave just mentioned will occur. Yep. And there's even flexibility in paying your premium. If you had a hard year like 2020 and you didn't have any incoming, you didn't have any income or your income was drastically reduced, you could cut your premium down to the minimum to just, just pay the base premium, which is going to be a right. lot less than the full premium because we just right. stopped funding the PUA for a year and get and then by. We can catch up. And then you can catch next year. You can go back and catch up for what you missed. Yep. yep. Exactly. So yeah, where very flexible very flexible. So where you save matters. And if you gloss over that, you're missing out on a lifetime of 
of uh, a potential on every dollar that you can put away. You can't you can't underscore that enough, Dave. If you you know IBC, you really got to dig into you know reading Nelson's book, reading his second book. There's some other good. There's a couple of other good ones out there as well. Listening to the right podcasts, listening to people that understand and use this product in their own life and have used it in their own life for 30, 40 years or longer. Um, studying what the wealthy do, but under, underlining that that every dollar you put in here right is not lost to you know you know you're paying interest to that finance company over there you're paying interest on this mortgage over here but over time 34 and a half cents of every dollar of your personal economy is left left it forever yeah. right and that's what we're trying to get at folks is that if you if you incorporate IBC into your life you address that at least that 34 and a half cents could be more could be less yeah yeah great point and then something i think we both realize is the more capital you have access to the not only the greater number of opportunities you have presented to you but the better the opportunities get right the quality the quantity and the quality increase so i mean what are some some opportunities that that come when you have access to to a large pool of capital as as opposed to maybe nothing at all or, or very little Cool. Yeah. Well, typically, you know, I do, you know, I do a lot of uh, real estate syndication investing yep. or lending or invest. I guess it's an investment technically. Generally, the the entry level on, on most of those um, are $50,000 investment. Sometimes it's 75. Sometimes it could be 100 occasionally, 100,000. Um, so generally that's, you know, the $50,000 level is really where the, where the aperture can open up uh, and there's a lot more opportunity in the landscape for you to to become a part of. And then past that, if you're uh, an accredited investor as defined by the SEC, and there's all this criteria that you can look up open source on Google, once you uh, re reach that level as well, there's there's even more opportunities, right? Which are considered, you know, for those sophisticated or accredited investors, a uh, certain net worth or income level. So yeah, yeah, I, I think generally, sometimes there's 25,000 Dave, but generally 50 to 75 is your, is your starting point. Yeah, yeah, good point. And uh, yeah, you can get into some of those as a non-accredited investor. For, you can, sure. and, the, and usually the minimum is still going to be 25000 uh, for one reason or another. Uh, one reason is because there's only so many opportunities that of those slots they can fill with unaccredited, right. non-accredited investors. Another is just the bookkeeping. Maybe it's not worth it. It's certainly not worth it to do, you know, two, three, four, five thousand dollar increments here and there because right. bookkeeping and, and everything else involved. Yeah. Yeah, there's a point of diminishing returns on their end as well, obviously, for yeah. their time and expenses and stuff. And the funny and it, once you get to even a bigger uh, level, like maybe you are an institutional investor. So you've got you know, 10 million dollars to invest. Um, you know, the bank, you can actually get lines of credit or loans from the bank and then turn around and say, hey, point me to your your uh, investment banking division. And then you go work with their investment banking division and put that loan you just got from the bank to work with them. And it's guaranteed, like there's no way to lose. So you can, because the bank wants to loan people money. That's the only way they can make money. Yeah, right? interest. So even better, they loan you money that you put to work in their branch so they make even more money, their investment banking branch. And uh, I mean, banks know how to make money. That's, that's their business. So yeah, that's what I do with IBC, essentially. Yeah, right. I'm the bank. Yeah. Yeah. I own the bank. I'm the loan officer. I'm the investment. I'm the investment guy. Yeah, right. I do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally vertically integrated here. And you're doing it all with somebody else's money, just like the bank. 
Just like the bank. The bank Pretty. does it with the Fed's money and with your money. So, yeah. And money that they create out of thin air. Yep. I can't do that. We need a. I think we really need to get Bob Murphy on here to talk about uh, fractional, fractional reserve, reserve banking. banking. Um, so if you guys haven't checked out Bob Murphy's podcast, um, just Google him. He's got a lot of really Either good him or, or Ryan, maybe. Or Ryan. Yeah, Ryan Griggs. Uh, definitely follow that guy, too, if you want uh, uh, maybe even a, a more sarcastic look at uh, the economy. But yeah. he's I, I like, some brilliant I love the stuff, sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there's no mistaking it. Um, there's some well, great... tact is you know tact is for people who aren't smart enough to be witty, so. <laughs> and that's why we don't have any tact. Not to toot our own horns, but we're pretty witty. Well, so let's talk about the one final thing: is sequence matters when you're putting money in and when you're taking money out, right? So there's a little thing that's very probably very glossed over by your traditional financial advisors, financial planners, is that sequence of returns risk. Hey, the stock market always goes up, right? Like it, it's going to recover. You just got to be in there for long enough to let it recover. That's great if you have 20, 30 years remaining before you have to reach in and take that. But what about like our parents who are retired right now? Right. They're taking money. The stock market is down 30% for them and they're reaching in and having to take money out right now to live off of. That's called sequence of returns risk. And it's extremely difficult and sometimes impossible to recover from that because you're taking their, money out yeah, of the down market. Their, yeah, especially at their age, their right. time. Right. So it's sad and it's something that's not planned for because you just figure, well, the stock market's always going to go up. If it goes down, I just wait until it goes up. Well, you can only wait so long without an income. Like you still that's need right. an income. So yeah, that and that's say, why, go ahead. I was going to say, Dave, uh, you, you mentioned this on one of the episodes, um, we can't always be playing offense, right? The best defense wins Super Bowls. The, the best pitching wins World Series, right? So especially later in life when we're, when we no longer want to labor for a wage, let's say, you know, whatever age that is, everyone's different. You know, you better be, you better have the best defense at that time. Because if yeah. you don't, when the market tanks, that, that 4% rule that your advisor said would keep, keep up with inflation, well, it just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Even, now even your account is down 30%. Even the best pitchers give up home runs. Yeah, so, no doubt. Um, yeah. So you, uh, you definitely need a defense. And so that's why we, that's another bonus about the life insurance policies that we design is they act as a volatility buffer during those down markets in retirement. Imagine that's in right. retirement, your, your stock, your qualified plan fund is down 30%. What if you had access to other capital that you could reach in and take tax-free. You could access that tax-free and live off of it until the market rebounds. Well, then there's no sequence of return risk because you're not taking money out of a down market. You've got a buffer over here that you can live off of for years if you need to, tax-free, until the market rebounds and you can start taking money back out. That's right. right? Dave, do we want to unpack that? I know someone's going to ask the question, well, what are the different ways I could do that with my life insurance contract? you know, 30 years down the road. Do we want to unpack that real quick? Yeah, we, uh, you know, we're, uh, we we're coming up on time. We got about, we got about a minute to unpack that and then we'll wrap it up. All right. Let me unpack it real quick. Okay. The way you could take what Nelson calls passive income time, right? When you're done laboring, you've, you've built all this capital in, in these various accounts. Dave just said the market's down 30%. Well, I don't want to take out of there, you know, sequence of return risk. Well, I've got this life insurance cash value. There's a couple different ways you can get to that life insurance cash value. One, the policy loan. 
kind of, you know, like a line of credit from the life insurance company. You use the life insurance company's money and, you know, maybe your policy is powerful enough and old enough where it's it's growing at such a rapid rate every year with dividends that get lumped back into by PUAs. Um, you just take loans out to supplement, you know, they're not taxed and you just maybe you don't pay those loans back. Um, that is a that is an, a, an option. Another option, which this isn't for me, I would always use the policy loan option. You could take dividends out right yep. on a tax free basis up to your basis in the policy, meaning how much premium you've paid. And of course, by 30 or 40 years down the road, you've got so much basis. You could take dividends for many, oh, many years sure. without paying any income tax on that money right if, if and, your policy was designed properly in the beginning right. and it didn't cut you off and and deny you the contractual right to continue funding it after say 10 years like right. a 10 pay or we're, something like that we're only talking about properly structured dividend paying a life right this this what i'm talking about scenario will likely not work i'm going to go out on a limb here will likely not work with a universal life product just right just be cautious of that Fair. um anyway that's that's how you would do that did i miss any that's that's really the two ways that i would what well, and surrenders there's yeah, loans, there's That's dividends, right, and then, yeah, surrender, which means you can take your cash value out um, as a surrender, just meaning you're not going to pay any interest on that because it's not a loan, it's a surrender. Um, and, you know, it could reduce your death benefit, but it could also, uh, yeah, once you take out enough up to your the amount you put in, anything over and above that is going to be taxable. Yeah, that would be the worst way, I think. I just Yeah, I think, I think so, too, so. unless it's... You know, some people have such a psychological aversion to paying interest on a loan. But if, if they did, they probably wouldn't have this in place for the last 30, 40 years anyway. So it's like use some of the dividend to pay the loan, maybe. I mean, don't would I wouldn't surrender anything. But yeah, yeah that is that is the other way you would do it. Yeah. OK, so, there you go. But you have options. So um, cool. Yeah, I think we uh, we unpacked a lot in that one. So um, sequence matters, folks. So. Well, that's all we got this week. Um, yeah, stay tuned next week and, and continue sending those questions in. We didn't open with a question this time, so let's make sure we do that next episode, Paul. Uh, we forgot to do that, so uh, we'll hit another one of the questions that, that you guys sent in and uh, keep them coming. We'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at the ibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.